All right. Hey, Hector. Hey, Mike. What's up, buddy? How are you? Uh, I was missing you for a very long time. I know. The 2020 has uh, caused a wedge in our time together. <laughs> yes, it absolutely has. Uh, it's like, not, by, not, not because you and me don't want to hang out. It's because I think we're both just so crazy in our lives and like probably right. like many other people me with the ppp loans and you yes. with the bookkeeping <laughs> firm acquisition i mean yes. who can keep track yes who can keep track you're you're exactly right um but you're doing okay i'm doing good i got yeah. scotch in my hand oh there you go uh, i'm actually at a friend's house and i had to ask permission to use a little room to to do this in and they gave me some flag for stepping away from the party but we, we agreed to do this and i i really was looking forward to this conversation mike yes and, and people are probably wondering hey that doesn't look like uh andrew and brad it definitely doesn't look like andrew and brad we are no. the we are the american uh double dingers we're the and ethnic brad. we're the ethnic uh andrew and brad yeah <laughs> yes, for sure yeah the andrew and brad so um well there is a there's something special going on next tuesday isn't is it right really yeah I, I don't think it's, i don't think it's important at all <laughs> no so yeah that. so let's start let's start with let's start with that so uh as you guys may know we are big quickbooks and zero ecosystem people and uh, one of the major app players actually the ceo of a major app uh uh expensify you might have noticed mm -hmm. that he sent an email saying that if you don't vote for Biden, you're basically choosing doom. <laughs> and and while I know some of you agree with the opinion about the current president, and I will I sh I'll share some of the opinion mm -hmm. with uh, with David on uh, with the CEO of Specify. You know that email was a little bit. I don't know. I mean, it was a little bit out of place. I think. I agree. Um, what, what? 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 Did you get a? Did you get a copy of the email, or did you hear no, about it through not only did social I get media? A, I did. Not only did I get a copy, I got about twenty copies right. because it got sent to every single user of Expensify. Not only um, us, all of our employees, all of our customers on Expensify, all of our customers' employees on Expensify. So wow. over ten million users got that email um and uh yes i think it was a little extreme a little inappropriate well, well, as well what was your first reaction my first reaction was uh this was not the forum the appropriate forum to send this email that was my my first one and um and then i spent a few days i actually spent about probably three four days just contemplating why i was i felt so triggered by the email because full disclosure i am neither a Trump no supporter nor a Biden supporter. I am not, I am not strongly supportive of either candidates. Um, but, but you and, do vote. And I do and, vote. I am active. Or you voting. have vote. Or you have vote. Voted, yeah, I have or you voted. Will vote. I have right. voted. You have I'm, voted. And you made a choice. And I made a choice, right. And so I you chose, you yeah, chose I, doom. I chose, to be a, need, yeah, I chose doom according to David Barrett and Expensify. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You chose doom, right? Because either one is doom, correct? Yes. Right. Correct. We we all voted for Doom, regardless. That's right. Right. According uh, to them, I voted for Doom, and that and right. that, so, that is an absurd idea um, to so, me. So, so question, question. Um, if you were a stockholder of of Expensify, it's not a public company. Would you sell your stock immediately? I, I'm just trying to understand how much impact, you know, negative impact that would have on you as a, let's say just as a stockholder. Would you have sold your stock? Of Expensify? Yeah. Um, I think I would have sold my stock a long time ago, first of all. <laughs> and, and But if not, I would have sold let's it. Say, let's say you were, along, you were along on Expensify. Yes. You like the app, yes, yes. whatever. I would, would have sold the stock. I would have sold the so, stock. So that would have triggered you to sell it. So would that also trigger you to stop using them? Like, will you, will you actively get your clients out of Expensify if you have any clients on Expensify because um, of it? If I was partisan, I probably would have. If I was partisan on the other side, I would have. And then uh, me not being that partisan, I probably still would have because I would have said, wow, this is uh, really, an in my opinion, an inappropriate use of emails. And, and frankly, we have, I've 
uh, I've migrated Reconciled off of Expensify. Okay, and, well, yeah, that's a different story, right? And we've we've migrated other customers off of Expensify because uh, we actually found other apps that we liked better. Um, so to be so to be clear, is is the issue the fact that he picked a side and said that if you pick one the the opposite side, you are in in, in opposite of democracy or whatever. BS he, he mentioned in there, yeah. um, or is it the fact that he emailed you something that has nothing to do with the app? Or like, what what is it I that? I think it's the fact that he emailed. I think it's the fact that he emailed all the customers. Kind of that break of trust, like another yeah, break of clearly, trust. I think it's a misuse of the emails account. So he might as well just emailed. Um, he could have just emailed and done other things too that were inappropriate and not really relevant to us being you as users, right? You would not expect in a expensify newsletter that you opted in maybe to receive maybe you opted in i have no idea um all the people that got it um that you would read something like this you'd probably you probably expect the reading in things that about features coming out for expensify because this is frankly the first of its kind first email of its kind from expensify sure. they have been silent historically on all other political since 2007 and it's not like the president ran for the first time this time this is his second run at it so it's kind of new on the on our entire industry, is it? Because I don't yeah. see companies like Intuit or Zero or Microsoft or Google right. or Facebook or anyone. I mean, some indirectly pick a side, of course, you know, through their actions, but not not an not an explicit email like this, kind of laying out. Yeah. So I I agree with you that I it's a bad choice to send that email. Absolutely bad taste. Um, I think that if that would have been maybe a, a blog post in medium.com mm -hmm. or something, he would have tweeted out, mm -hmm. but said, Hey, this is not expensified. This is me. I think that people, I, I believe in freedom of speech and I think people have the right to, to, uh, to make whatever decisions they want and communicate whatever they feel about the politics. I personally been very vocal on Facebook. You seen, you seen me yeah. and you, you know, my opinion about it. But I don't represent the company with a, from of a thousand exactly. people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not only that, um, you know, he 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 trying to make it like, oh, hey, here's the process in which we went about doing this. But at the end of the day, you know, he actually did he did not represent the full views of the company, even though he says it from Expensify, because there were employees, a large segment of employees that didn't want did not want it posted, and there was a large segment of his leadership team that did not want that posted. Yet he still posted it. So. If it was a, a CEO, um, a CEO opinion, that's one thing. Like you said, post on Medium, post on his on a Twitter account. He's got a huge following, I'm sure. And then honestly, I, I feel like there's an, a, another motive. There's also honestly another motive, and and this was brought up by the Cloud Accounting Podcast that ex expense reports probably have diminished significantly because most expense reports are related to travel. Travel has stopped. So the usage of the app is probably down significantly, therefore impacting the revenue of the company. So part of me goes, well, if this was a revenue play for exposure, for marketing purposes, be honest about that. <laughs> Just disclose that. Um, is this a Hail Mary to save the company? I don't know. I feel like there's another motive there, and it's actually not pure around oh, so maybe maybe you maybe they just want people to be talking about it and then yeah. when when they when they pivot to whatever that post-COVID expense report type of app. They think of Expensify. Like, yeah. They think of, yeah. It That's was great free branding. It was great free branding. David Leary That's kind true. of plugged that. It was amazing, smart, brilliant free branding. Didn't have to spend a Super Bowl ad to get the press they did. They got so much press from it. So Interesting. Um, so I wrote my own post. I wrote a response. Um, and you find oh, you that the Reconcile blog. Yeah. And I wrote it. I, I had to post it yesterday, a week, a week after their <laughs> post, you know, just to kind of say, okay, hey, a week ago, I got some time to think about it got to ponder it, got to share with my marketing and sales team what I would write. And it really is, I believe that Expensify's post, post is, was the uh, antithesis to democracy and inclusive, an inclusive workplace. Um, and I really thought about the uh, new Americans and people who can't vote um, and users who are probably you know new Americans, immigrants who came from places where they frankly received communication like this all the time, where they would said, if you vote a certain way or don't vote a certain way, you'll be treated in a certain way, or you'll be viewed a certain way, or you must believe a certain thing, and we're going to treat you differently. And so I kind of wrote about how I, I think that writing a post like that was inappropriate because at the heart of democracy and creating an inclusive workplace, um, you know, people should be allowed to vote their conscience no matter what side. 
and that you should create a work environment that embraces voters of all kinds or non-voters of all kinds, including those who can't vote or who can't yet vote and they're waiting for the opportunity to. But to receive an email like that, that feels a little bit like, wow, you're calling me, you're, you're, you're labeling me as somebody who hates democracy because I'm not voting the way you want me to vote or not voting your way. Or frankly, maybe you choose not to vote because you just don't want to participate. You don't believe in the electoral system. You don't believe it represents you. You live in a state where you don't believe your vote counts um, or it's been, it's been made difficult for you to vote because of, the, because of the political system or the system set up and it's very difficult for you to vote. There's a variety of reasons why you may choose to vote or not vote, but it shouldn't mean that you would feel ostracized or different because of that. And, and, and that's, I think, is the antithesis of democracy and also doesn't create an inclusive workplace. Um, so that's kind of the, so what I wrote about on the Rectile blog. Now, let's fast forward to like a couple of weeks from now and let's make the assumption that some of the stuff in the email uh, comes true. And I, and I, and, 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 and let's, 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 let's frame it like this. Okay. So on election night, Fox news calls for Trump. Okay. Because the vote, the votes voted to date, they all go for Trump, but we still have to count in the mail-in votes. Okay. And then Trump does a big thing and says, how oh, we won whatever. Right. The, all the other media organizations say, wait, it's not safe to call uh, the winner, because we, we have we still got like a week left or two weeks left to count all these mailing votes because some people will vote on the third, put the ballot on the mail, just like many accountants put tax returns on April 15th on the mail. Right. So we know that Americans do this. If you've ever been into a post office on April 15th, you know that many Americans procrastinate and wait to last minute because they have the right to. Right. So let's assume that then what ends up happening is. Uh, you know, the counts post mail actually go the other way. Yeah, sure. And then, and the media organizations are saying, he, see, you know, this is not right. And then, and then the current president sitting there says, no, I refuse to acknowledge that to be the truth because I told you there was going to be fraud. And this is sure. the proof. Sure. This is the living proof that there's fraud because we counted on, 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 on election night and he said it was me. And then, you know, the, the magically, because this is will be framed like this, magically the mailing votes uh, change the tide, which is statistically impossible. But you and I know that it's not because most COVID-fearing people would prefer to vote uh, via mail. Correct. And non-COVID-fearing right. Correct. Right. Or, or, or non people would vote in person. And we know which political party those statistically fall into, right, without mentioning it. I think we both understand that. And Sure. For whatever reason. So if that does happen and there is some truth to what he's calling, would that change your mind? That the fact that, hey, look, I said that democracy was a risk and and the very behavior. No, you still don't no, think so? I don't, I don't think so, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're going to trust in the voting system itself, the voting apparatus, that's why you vote. If you don't trust it, why are you voting? Right. So you have to trust the system. You also have to trust all of the institutions and organizations and the people in power that transition presidents. So the president, but, but, but the president, but the president has told us and will tell us, and I'm, we're not getting into the political argument. I'm no, just no. trying to, I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. I know the, you the, are. The, yeah. The president has told us and, 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 and told us in the past about what he thinks is going to happen yep, in the future yep, yep. and will most likely say that you cannot trust those organizations because they're, they're fraught with yep. fraud and so mismanagement. Then, okay, so, so either there's only, there's either one answer or the other, you either vote because you trust that voting works right, and right. that the outcome of the vote is what wins the day or trumps every, <laughs> and so bad choice of words, so, but yeah. yes, good and, choice and of words. We too. have a similar situation <laughs> That happened in the Bush-Gore race, not similar to Mellon voting and all this, all this political division, but we have a situation where there was a big question about who won Florida and therefore who was going to win the election. Okay. So there was a period of time where we had to wait, and 
people had to trust that the system would figure it out and then the transition of power would happen but the system so, but but let me give you i don't know if you studied the gore case no the no, no. System, I, I, yes there's all these excuses they're different i get it no I no no, no it. but but yeah. I, I i'm not i voted for bush by the way so yeah, I, I wasn't I like now in retrospect i probably would have voted different but um the system didn't figure out what ended up happening is, and this is the truth. What ended up happening is Al Gore coincided, coinceded yep. before, before it went even further. Yes. So, I, I, you know, from what I understand, is our presidential race is largely based on the other party coinciding. Like that, admit admission of losing officially ends the race, yep. and. And I think that neither party will will admit well, to losing, regardless. But you, don't, but you don't know that. You don't know that. Right. We true. Also, we don't know that. We also probably could have said that before the race between Gore and Bush. True. True. So these are all speculations. And I go, if you're gonna vote, you're gonna trust a system that we've had for Correct. years as a country. Right. We should vote regardless. I, that, I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Right. We of course. Vote regardless. Right. So then, therefore. Don't, you either trust the system in that there's a transition of power and that it'll happen smoothly and that there's people and institutions and systems in place to make that happen. And remember, it doesn't happen in November. It happens in January. So uh, December, we well, December 14th. December, yes. Right, and then, yeah, and There's correct. meetings that happen and, you know, there's just transition meetings and all that stuff. And those, I think, the people that are in charge and understand those systems and process will force it. We also have a Supreme Court that gets involved. We have the House and the Senate. So, and we have the military. So it's like at the end of the day, uh, I think we can trust that system. Otherwise, what 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 are you trusting? What, why are you voting if you don't trust that system? There's always transitions yeah. of power. So yeah, that's we'll, what I trust. We'll, we'll agree there. And I just yeah. mentioned Mike. Mike is one of my best friends in the world. And Mike and I are in opposite spectrums of any hot issue that you can think of, yeah. right? Who's yeah, Mike? Polit politics. Who's, who's Mike? You man, you mean Michael? Michael, <laughs> Michael. whatever you know. <laughs> whatever. Yes, sir. I don't even know what my my best friend name is, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, 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 Michael's Michael and I disagree in many things: politics, religion, you name it. Um, but we can still coexist, and we can still yeah. respect each other and love each other. And I think yeah. that I think that once the election is over, hopefully. Everybody can hit the reset button and just just take away all this like hatred for each other yeah. because they chose the opposite side. Right. Um, you know, and if history and if history paints a picture at all, and people want to say this is such a unique time period, but if history paints a picture, historically, this is the president's race to lose because historically, sitting presidents win. He's the incumbent. Right. So that's just historically. So right. just. And, and to be clear, to if COVID odds, didn't, yeah, if COVID didn't exist, it'd be the you know, if COVID didn't exist, Trump would be sitting with a re-election, super nicely and easily. He'll be cruising into it, right? With, yeah. you know, if, if the economy would it would have stayed stable, I would say it doesn't have to be amazing; just have to stay stable. And there really isn't anything crazy happening, um, even the 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 race riots or whatever you want to call it. I don't think there were enough of a hot button. I think that. The, the, the pandemic itself is really the dividing issue mm -hmm. here. So I think post-election, hopefully, whether Trump wins again and you hate Trump, or if Biden wins and you think Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism, whatever, right. um, the idea is that you continue to vote in the midterms yeah. and you continue to write to your senators and you continue. That's what's great about our country. That's what's right. wonderful. You get this opportunity right. to vote, right? And it's amazing. Exactly. And, and most importantly, like what hurts me the most is how people fight over something yeah. they neither one can control. All right. So let's move on from politics. Can we do that? <laughs> that was your idea, by the way. You wanted to bring I this know, up to me. I, I know, but it, elections in a couple of days. Know that we got, you know, I don't know how many people are watching. Not my I'm not. I'm, I'm in an iPad, so I can't monitor Facebook. I have no idea how many people are watching yeah. or if they're turned on or off by this or whatever. So I want to talk to you about something else, Mike. You, you were telling me that you've been in acquisition mode. Yeah. And I was like, what, 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 what does that mean? He's like, well, I'm looking for bookkeeping firms I want to sell and that they match what I'm looking for and I'm buying them out mm -hmm. and, and I'm bringing them into the fold of the reconciled brand. Yeah. And I was wondering, can we talk about, like, would you be comfortable talking about how the, how the process works? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, the this week uh, spent some time in uh, your home state of Florida and finished the acquisition of a, of a small firm. 
Um, it'll be the first one, uh, first official one to date so far. First of hopefully um, many that we roll out over the next year and we're actively talking to, to additional firms to acquire. So yeah, happy to talk about it. And, and so, uh, so one thing I know about you, Mike, is that you've been expanding, this is before acquisition, but you've been expanding into multiple states. And the way I understand you're doing this is you're finding someone talented that wants to work from home that knows or, or knows the basic skills that you don't have to teach from zero and you're bringing them into the fold and say you will represent the North Carolina office or whatever and then as we get leads that come in uh, into from the area or, or, or from your specialty or as you get leads in we're going to bring them into the brand and we're going to have our sales process and our pricing system and you are an employee, we'll pay you per hour or whatever, um, and it would be a client of the firm. So that's something that you've been doing already for like three or four years, correct? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, in various iterations of what you described, but basically hiring remote workers throughout the country. They're not salespeople, um, but of course, we're leveraging their referral network because now they work for the company. And um, and we, we also award employees that bring us leads and referrals, but we also have a sales team that's very talented and they sell nationally and well, regardless if we have an employee in the state, in those states. So, um, we're, we primarily are choosing the states we're hiring from, from, a from a tax nexus perspective, from a cost of living, that's similar to Vermont perspective where we, wages are similar for the bookkeeping staff that we can find in the county. So no, no California or New York no, bookkeepers. No, no California or New York <laughs> bookkeepers, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and really we're avoid, we're avoiding what what I call class A cities, um, where you know there's a lot of competition and a lot of expensive competition and a high cost of living. We are avoiding hiring in those cities and and being in, intentional not intentional not really marketing heavily in those cities, but we're we're going towards class B or really um, growing markets markets where it's it's a, a similar cost of living to Vermont or lower. And we can find talented bookkeeping staff at at the average national cost or lower. So um, that's that's where we're focused in. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you avoid a New York City client or an no, LA client. No, no. It's just where you're where you're getting we're basing our, people to our work staff. from. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So we have we have nine states that we have employees working in, and uh, we'll continue to add states, but very intentionally when we enter a new state and, and how we enter it and how we make our presence known. So. So yeah. how is that different, bringing a new employee from a new state to open a new market, per se? And, and it might not really be a new market because you can have an employee right. in North Carolina deal with a California client. So it's right. not a geographical thing. I, I assume they do have specialties and like some some of your employees do certain customers and not others or, 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 or you allow them to work with any industry across uh, the board. Yeah, we, I mean, we're not niche, niched as one to one or two industries. We do have heavy concentration in five or six industries, but we're not niche. So um, we are we are focusing on um, finding good talent, people who fit our, align with our cultural values, um, and and are excited and passionate about working with entrepreneurs and um, helping us reach our goal um, of of you know building reconcile to be a market leader in the online bookkeeping and accounting space. So. Well, that's one way to expand in which you have to invest in marketing because yeah. what you're doing is you're acquiring capacity first. Mm -hmm. You're you're getting them ready to serve the clients and then you're investing in Facebook ads, Google ads or whatever. And then you're bringing new clients in and then you're, you're choosing the employee based on their capacity. How is that a different thing that acquire? Like I would like love to understand what does acquiring a bookkeeping firm look like i mean are you are you taking in all the employees as reconciled employees or are you buying the firm and allowing the current entity to continue to employ employ them how, how does that work yeah so really the way i look at it is and the way i thought about it was this was actually before the pandemic hit i thought through our continued growth plans across the country and, and nationally and how we would get reconciled to be the market leader wanted it to be um and so we had, we believe we had figured out the organic growth method and and like and we were able to, you know, reach um, a, a size that that's bigger than most of our peers, um, and kind of reach this level of of being able to serve customers nationally. And our brand had reached a level where people in general know about it, and especially in the in the accounting profession, but as well as startups, we are, we we go head to head with the national, comp, you know, the national firms in regards to customers. And oftentimes, we're introducing customers for the first time to what is online bookkeeping. So we knew that okay. We're reaching a certain point of 
uh, in a level where our brand is strong. So, so, so if, I, if I understand that correctly, if, uh, so you would buy a firm that has QuickBooks desktop clients that you see a potential to migrate to online, or you only will buy a firm that's already working with online 100% clients? Um, both. We'd be willing to buy both. Yeah. So this, so the, the, I, I'm not really sure you're very perceptive because I was, I'm not really sure where you get that question from, but uh, the, oh, you, you said uh, we're yeah. introducing some people to online bookkeeping for the first yeah. time. For the you're first talking time, about the employees correct. or the, or are you talking about the employees or customers, the customers, customers. The co customers. right. But yeah. what I'm saying, these are, if, if you have a firm, let's say for example, I wanted to sell you my firm, right. Yeah. And I have a lot of QuickBooks desktop clients, which is the truth, right. Would, would, would that firm be not attractive to you because they're desktop clients that want to stay in desktop? Uh, or would, would that only be attractive to you if they were okay with moving to cloud-based bookkeeping? Yeah, so you, yeah, you, you put a lot of caveats in there. So, um, you know, there's hundreds of firms across the country. And there's, let's put them into three buckets. Firms that are purely cloud-based, meaning their customers are on pure cloud software, QBO or Zero or Sage and Tax, stuff like that. Then there's hybrid where they're desktop, but they're on, they're on and they maybe have some on QBO or in cloud-based, but they're, they have desktop hosted customers, right? On a remote server, but they're serving them remotely. It's just on a hosted server. And then there's the, I've got you on a server in my office and I'm gonna do the work and customers, you're gonna drop stuff off here or um, you're gonna send me stuff electronically, but I'm, I'm serving the, the traditional way in my office on a, on a desktop computer or laptop. And I own that file. You customer don't really touch it. Um, it's not a remote server. It's not. It's not remote work. So there's there's, no, and then, and then, there's no collaboration. Yeah, yeah, and then there's like it's in client between, side accounting. Yeah, there's and then there's like you know there's a spectrum of all that, right? So we're obviously going towards the closest cloud-based spectrum as possible, but making room for customers who, hey, if you're serving customers remotely, cloud-based, but it's on a remote server with desktop software, we can migrate that to the cloud at some point. And we can give a migration plan over the next 12 months and make that work happen. So uh, the firm we happened to bought with the firm we bought happened to be a primarily desktop hosted firm. So um, they serve their customers remotely. They don't do the work just, just, they don't do the work just in their office. Like, you know, client side, they, they serve all the customers remotely. They have a hosted server and we're, and that's the primary customers they have. And we're able to eventually migrate customers over to the cloud at some point over the next 12 months. So it works out very well. And the team's used to, you know, their team's trained and excited and the firm and, 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 and we check with the firm if they think the clients are, are ripe in order to do the transition. So there's a period of due diligence, right? And time it takes, but there's hundreds of firms like this out there on the market, hundreds. Um, and, and it's really exciting. And so I've vetted, you know, since middle of the summer, I've probably vetted um, at least six firms for acquisition. And um, this firm came to the top um, out, of the, out of the six that I vetted, actively vetting, you know, at any given time, a dozen firms now at a time. Um, that, and so we hope to do many more throughout the next year um, as, as we go out with, with our role of strategy. And the difference, primarily the difference is the customers are already there. You don't have to go find them. And the empl trained employees are already there. You don't have to go find them. Those are the two big challenges for accounting firms, right? Probably less customers because customers seem to come out of the woodworks for most accounting firms. But trained staff is kind of the, been the big one. And that's been the big one challenge for even post-COVID or during COVID because I don't think unemployment shot up for accounting and finance that much. Accounting finance professionals basically can work from home and has figured out how to do it. So finding talent has still been the biggest challenge for most firms, in my so, opinion. Right? So when you bought this one firm or when you will continue to buy uh, firms in the future, you, you're looking at the talented employees first before you look at the client portfolio or are you looking at both equally it's a, a whole mix a whole mix of everything looking at the strength of the brand looking at their presence in the market in the marketplace um it's important to us if the brand is not the last name of the owner so you know it's in, in we look at the involvement of the owner how involved are they in the work or are they just selling it's more attractive if they're just selling because they can join our sales team and then client churn and client transition is not going to be as hard um and then we look at the you know look at the team look at, you know, and, and really we look at this as the terms acquisition, right? Formal, the formal terms acquisition 
we really are making an invitation because we've got to make offer letters to the employees and invite them to join Reconcile. We have to let the customers know that we're going to- And, and they have to accept. They have, they have to accept. accept and they decide but, not to. Quick yeah. question. Does that happen after you agree to buy their firm or before? What, say that again. Like the actual formal offer to the employees to come work with you and waiting for them to accept. Does that, does that happen after you choose to buy the firm or before? That's after. So, okay. So you agree with the owner or the ownership group that you're buying their firm and then you're crossing your fingers and hoping that 90 plus percent of the employees agree to come over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and typically in those situations that always happens. That that and typically in in, right. in yeah like the odds are it's the same job essentially yeah. it's literally the same you, job yeah right and, and, and you and you you keep the pay the same or do you reevaluate the pay at that point yeah it, it depends on the situation right so it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and so obviously you want to make it attractive for the employees to to want to come and join you but you also want to cast that grand vision of what you're trying to do so um so yeah so it it, it depends on the situation of what you're trying to accomplish there but our, our job is to keep as many employees and over the next 12 months to keep all the customers <laughs> right because if you, if you keep the employees you keep the customers that, that's right. for sure that's just the way right. it is that's just right. the way it is right, right. right. So, so it's been um yeah it's been a really great experience so far and uh you know you learn a ton through the experience and then you rinse and repeat hopefully on the next one and do it better and uh that's so my, my biggest takeaway from this which has been mind-bending honestly <laughs> is that you're you're buying the team not the portfolio and traditionally most people when they think about acquiring a firm is buying the portfolio like when i when i think of an accounting firm acquiring another accounting firm i think of okay what are your annual revenues a million dollars okay i agree to pay a million dollars for the firm and i'll pay it out over the next three years and i'll pay it as a proportion of the customers that stay that's the most typical firm acquisition does yours kind of look like that or is it different well you're yeah you of course you're buying the customers i mean you're not you're not going to go buy a set of employees where there's no customers that doesn't make any sense you're right. you're, you're getting the employees Plus people because, are not for sale that's for that's yeah, for sure people are not for sale, yeah <laughs> well and secondly too you need people to service the contract. So unless your firm has the equivalent amount of bench capacity of the size of this other firm that you're going to acquire, it's you need the people. And and secondly, it's integral to keep some most of the people in order for so the customers really feel comfortable in transitioning over to your practice and getting to know you. Um, and then over time, you you also integrate that practice into your processes and workflow and interactions and culture. And that's a big piece and that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So not much changes on day one, not much changes for anybody really um, doesn't change for you and, uh, and your company doesn't change for the, 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 oh, do, the do the invoices after acquisition, do the invoices come under the old company name or the new company? It depends. Name? It, it, it's all oh, okay. depends, right? Cause you're also buying the, you know, oftentimes you want to buy the rights or ownership of the brand. Now you own right. the brand, right? So would it be beneficial for you or not to keep that brand active and alive? And for how long do you want to sunset it? What, how do you treat it? Do you, treat them all as holding firms and really just Is that your plan them, to, you know? to keep the brand or to or to or not face it out but to integrate it to your current brand what's the plan i think if if you know one of the valuations we make is how strong is the brand in that in that market and in okay. the vertical they're in and if it's strong why would you phase it out if it's still bringing no, yeah. in leads and you're able to Correct. sell on it why would you say that would be that would be kind of it'd be it's kind of like you know marriott marriott owns all these brands it's one marriott the Marriott right. company, right? But they own a ton of brands. On one sense, you go, well, they're cannibalizing each other. Well, not really. They all serve different markets. All those brands serve a different clientele. All those brands serve a different market, right? So Spring Hill Suites and re versus Residence Inn, they're both Marriott. But Spring Hill Suites serves one set of customers. Residence Inn serves a different type of customer. So, um, so if you could put it in that perspective, you technically could have one accounting firm with different brands if you wanted to based on the verticals on the markets you're trying to serve yeah. and that doesn't that doesn't divest the value of your current brand because uh, you're working on the multiple brands right and because they're because of the amount of customers there are in the marketplace right you, there's you unlimited have, almost unlimited. Right. so you can have hundreds right. of brands because there are right. you know 20 30 million small businesses in, in the country right so it's just like it, it's you know you could have each brand have 10,000 20,000 customers and it wouldn't matter it right. wouldn't even touch the amount of customers there are in the country so 
you know the field is ripe um for it but anyways yeah what what are your thoughts hector have you have you gone this journey you must have helped customers with sure as well wow you're you're flipping the 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 table on me i was (laughs) i was having tons of fun asking you questions i was going to ask you about valuation how do you come up with a price but i personally haven't acquired um, a brand or a client base or a team so i don't have any experience on that um but i have helped clients consulted clients with acquisitions and my my first question is where's the synergy is my first question okay and synergy is the concept of one plus one equals three um and then yeah go go get it yeah i'm in my friend's house and he's gonna go get a cigar which means which means i have to wrap it up soon all right guys (laughs) all right so uh so the first question is where's the synergy right so synergy is one plus one equals three. And this is true if it is possible for two firms to provide more than the sum of the parts. And, and, and if it's physically possible, financially possible, mechanically possible, mathematically possible, that the union of two firms or two companies or two entities or two energies, whatever you want to call it, can produce more than the sum of the parts. And if that's true, then uh, you might be able to pay more than the book value of what you're buying correct that's that's in a nutshell what uh what, what it is many <laughs> yeah. uh, mini, mini uh, hector just showed up here <laughs> mini hector, yeah. um so, so that's the first question the second question is after you acquire this firm uh will you effectively exploit it as, a, as an entity by itself or will you unite the resources and always in all acquisitions you downsize because and, and, and downsizing is probably the wrong word i'm saying you you merge redundancies i think mm-hmm, that's probably mm-hmm. the, the yeah. high tech <laughs> yeah yeah, merge redundancies. yeah we merge redundancies right so if you got so if you got all right so 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 the sales team, the sales team that brings customers in, that wouldn't be redundant, right? Those you probably stay, you, you keep. But the back office team, you might not need two accounting departments to run the joint marketing of the two companies per se. Right. So, so and, and it could be the other way too. You can have two companies that, that join together or you have a merger where what you're buying is the back office. Like in your case, you, you're not buying the sales portion of the firm, you're buying the back office portion of the firm. So depending on what you're buying, like if you're buying a brand, something that sells a product, uh, and in that case, will you uh, will you need to merge the back office, or are you buying the back office, the capacity, the building, the facilities, mm-hmm. the equipment, the process, the know-how? So all that stuff uh, gets. Um, gets designed but the one question i asked the business owner is what is it that the company does better than yours and, and and usually when you ask that question and they come up with an answer whatever it is that's really the the reason why they're interested on buying that in the first place so like for example you when you go buy a firm what that firm does better than yours is it already comes with a thousand customers right so so you don't have to go spend whatever five thousand dollars to acquire new customers so that's what they do better they, they come with the customers built in and that doesn't mean the process is better or it could mean that it does maybe they will teach you and your team something that you didn't know mm-hmm. that works really well for them and then you add that to your to your entire process and you add one more layer or one more tip or one more little know-how that makes the entire ecosystem uh work better so i'm not an expert in mergers and acquisitions but at least i know how to ask the right questions to get people thinking is this even worth it and then the other question i ask is when they do tell me what i like about the other firm better than mine and they say whatever it is let's say well you know they deliver faster whatever it is right okay so they deliver faster you dig a little deeper and say why they deliver faster they'll go back and tell you well their people are more talented we have better equipment their product is simpler the sales process is simpler whatever it is and you keep digging why do you think that is why do you think that is and then when they basically answer they give you the entire business model you ask them if you don't buy that firm what would stop you from you doing that thing you already have the answer in your own company and they go back and think 
you know what? I think I can do this without buying mm-hmm. the firm. So in some cases, I'll, I'll, I'll poo-poo the deal by simply just kind of giving people the, the coaching people through, do you actually have to buy that company? Um, you know, are you actually buying something that is that you can't replicate with your own resources? So again, I'm not an expert in margin acquisition. I don't want to pretend to be. I've probably been involved in five or six deals, handful of deals. I think that I've poo-pooed more than that actually helped I go through. And I think in most cases I was probably right. Like it just it just seemed that they were buying something that was in decline anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like like if you were to come to me and say, "Hey, I want to buy this desktop firm." I would probably tell you no because it doesn't fit into your system. But maybe you're seeing something that I can't see and you're more of a risk taker. You're more of an entrepreneur than an accountant, Michael. So you are able to see the risk reward side. Like you can visualize it better than I do because I I think on financial statements. So I'll look at the balance sheet. I'll judge it on balance sheet. You look at it based on the culture and energy of the team and then and you and i'm sure you use analytics too because you're a smart numbers Mm -hmm. finance person but i believe that you put a lot more weight on on the gut feeling of the deal versus the analytics of the deal and me as an accountant i probably go the other way um and in many cases joining the two ideas and looking for the middle ground of the two helps you make a better well and you know uh, m a i treat m a like marriage right if you're gonna go when you mean the couple that's about to get married you find every excuse to stop them from getting married because you know how hard the journey once they're married is going to be right. The, the, there's the dating period that what I would call the infatuation and lust period are really great. But then once you get engaged, the pre-marriage honeymoon, yeah, the pre-marriage honeymoon. But then once you get engaged, the hard work of the wedding, merging the families and then marriage, so M&A is the same thing. It's the same kind of process for yeah. business, you know? And, yeah. and you know, it's funny. There, there's a quote I always like to tell people. There's a quote is, um, I think Warren Buffett said this. There's no such things. There's no such thing as mergers. There's only acquisitions. So, so there's, that's always different. A, there's always an alpha. What you're saying is that there's is, always that an what alpha. Means? So that's different. Okay. So that's a little different than marriage because I think most people would like to believe that marriage can be equal, that there really is a merging of two people, which I agree with that. Um, but if you, if you come into a traditional household or traditional marriage, generally traditional marriages, there is an alpha or a leader or a family leader, a head of household, whatever you want to call it. Uh, put that aside in business. There is, there is generally, it, it, there are no a- mergers. There's only acquisitions. And I agree with that. There's somebody that com- that is the clear leader that comes out um, as a clear leader. And so, um, so we wants to be yeah. in, in many yeah. cases, you have yeah. a person that wants to dominate the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so in this way, we, the way we, the way we looked at it is we're inviting people to join our journey as reconcer. We're inviting firms that are interested in giving their customers and their employees an opportunity to grow and to be part of the reconciled family and, and become part of the reconciled journey. That's what we're doing. Um, and it's, just, and it's great. It's been great. A, a quick infomercial for you, uh, Mike, Michael. Uh, so are you are you are you actively looking to purchase accounting firms, bookkeeping firms? If someone is watching this, what does the process of asking you about it look like? They, like they like, uh, like somebody's just, interested in selling it to yeah, you? Yeah, just they literally can just reach out to me on LinkedIn or on email, and um, and people know how to get a hold of me usually. Um, so. They can reach out and we begin the process. We begin a we have been a very defined process that we put together. So um, yeah, so it's not it's it it and if you haven't been through it, it is a lot of work. So sure it is. You know, and and we'll let you know pretty quickly um, in the beginning before that that big amount of work happens, we'll let you know pretty quickly whether or not we think it's a good fit because of criteria that we've predefined that you have to meet. So there's certain criteria you have to meet and then We'll let you know. And that's some of the secret sauce that we probably have for ourselves. Oh, I can't hear you, Hector. Hector, you went you went uh, dark. There. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, you finish your thought. It's a secret sauce you were saying. Yeah, it's, it's probably of our, you know, our process, the way we do it, it's probably a little bit of our secret sauce, the way we're finding right. firms, um, who we're talking to, the, the, the criteria we have, like all those things I think is part of our our secret weapons in the process, right? Uh, if there's right. anything, if there is a secret weapon, you know, it only gets you so far, you still have to get the deal done. So that's just, right. 
Right, and you got one done, so that's yeah. right. That's a great start. So I'll I'll, I'll ask you because I, I prefer to interview you. I don't like when you ask me questions. So, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you maybe maybe just a fun question about that. Um, I know you are, and part of me, if I get this wrong, you're a minister or a or a uh, or a pastor. What's what's what is it that you do uh, on your church? I'm I'm a normal person. Right? Okay, like no, no, I, natural, I know, I know, you know but I, yeah. it's gonna make sense. It's gonna make sense. Yeah. So I'm not a professional minister or anything like that. I, at, um, as of probably about a month ago, I've most of my life have volunteered as a leader or a, volunteer. Okay, a volunteer as a leader at churches right. and and whatever capacity they want to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, My specific question was since we're talking about mergers and acquisitions and marriages, have you ever married someone or counseled someone? into getting married or out of getting married or have you ever worked in that capacity with couples and yeah, that sort of thing? We're actually, I'm doing a wedding in three weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm actively ministering a wedding in about three, three You're weeks. You're ministering a wedding. Okay. Yeah, is it I'm your first be, one? I'm the, I'm the, no, no, I, this is probably my fifth or sixth or seventh, you know. So you've, 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 so you've been, you've married five or six people. Yeah, but I've done a number of them. Yes, yes. So you wrecked yeah. six lives, uh, <laughs> twelve lives. Right? That's the way you say that. You want to say that? Yeah, yeah. But you right. know, and we're right. in the the couple that we're that I'm going to be administering the wedding or doing the ceremony. Um, we're actually going through their premarital counseling right now. So it's so, you know part of that counseling is ensuring that they actually want to get married. Right. right. Sure, you want to go through this journey because we it's not for the faint of heart marriage, and uh, we don't recommend you just jumping into it lightly. So. Um, yeah, and obviously, and obviously, as a as a, you know, as a person of faith, we believe marriage is a commitment for life, or at least until one of you passes or both of you passes. So that's why we also put a big deal about on it is you don't want to make a commitment to somebody for life if it's not the right decision for you. You're not committed to that agreement, right? So, yeah. And in my attempt to to make full circle of the conversation. <laughs> um, when I've done consulting for uh, friends or potential clients that say, Hector, I want to start a business, it's going to be me and John 50-50. And, and that's a very interesting proposal, right? When two people go into business 50-50, it's a lot like marriage, right? Like you actually have to sit down with them. I think I sit down with them and I say, look, before we, we, we start this business or I advise you in the entity that's going to be done for this business or whatever, Let's think about the exit, right? What will the exit look like? <laughs> That's, <laughs> a like wait, That's a great question. That's a great question. So people are like, wait, wait, wait. We come to you for advice on how to start a business and have a successful business yeah, what's the, what's the with, a, with a partnership. Why are you walking us to the exit? <laughs> and I say, be, be, because if we if we visualize the exit, like if one person doesn't want to do that thing anymore, what would that transition yes. look like? Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, I think it makes it a lot easier because I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. That exit conversation, which is post that honeymoon stage, oh yeah, where 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 everything in the business most is people be don't want to have that conversation. They, right. they're, they're too afraid of it because they're like, we can't imagine us having a disagreement so big, right? Like that we would want to go in, and it happens so many times. If if fifty percent of marriages end, or whatever the number is, thirty percent, whatever. More than fifty percent of partnerships are going to end too. Correct. Like, that's not even marriage. Marriage is a bigger. You're living with each other. You're not living with a business partner. Right. It it the excuses to end that partnership are tremendous. They're so abundant. You know. And, and not just that is you can end the partnership in good terms. Yeah. Exactly. Even if even yes. if one person feels shafted per se because someone's going to feel like uh, it always happens right like you said right there's no I don't know what the what the equivalent to this there's no partnerships ending just one person won and one person lost like i was trying to do the acquisition right. the acquisition merger uh uh, 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 uh quote yeah. yeah the analogy correct so so in a in a in a part in, short of a company just closing down filing bankruptcy everybody loses every time there's a there's a breakup one person keeps something whether it's money or the business or the asset of the business or the clients or the employees or the building right somebody keeps something and then someone else either goes off to do their own thing or tries to do the same thing and essentially compete with each other so many many businesses break up and and it's an ugly thing uh, my partner I hate him he stole from me whatever because people always take kind of that sort of political spectrum type of conversation right my partner's not with me therefore he's evil or she's evil whatever but i think that if you think through the exit 
at the very beginning and you are, you give people easy outs to say, you know what, at any point in time, if you disagree with me, my tactics, my policy, my style, uh, the money that I'm putting, the effort that I'm putting, who I voted for, what emails I sent to 10 million customers, what, whatever, whatever, whatever your thoughts are about me as a partner, if they go sour, is there a mechanism we can trigger where, look, this is a system that we're going to use to evaluate it. This is uh, the cash flow we're going to determine. This is how we, uh, how I get out of it and get my cash or my worth in a way that doesn't hurt the current business and give anyone always a path out that is simple. It's written down. You can update it every year. And that usually takes away all the anxiety because in my experience, when two partners feel that they're stuck with each other, right? And and, and in marriages happens too, but typically marriage is more dire, you know, like you got kids involved, you got, you know, you got divorced and you just, marriage is a bit more complicated, but businesses, look, they're meant to cycle. Right, the business. I mean, like, like I used to buy in block, like, on Blockbuster. Doesn't exist anymore now. I buy from Netflix. Ten years from now, Netflix, Netflix will be a Blockbuster, and something else will be with would be something else. Right. So, so businesses do go through cycles. They change. They evolve. I think it is healthy to think about, you know, how to get out of your business and your the bookkeeping firm you acquired. I'm not sure if they even planned what it would look like if Michael will come and offer to buy it, but. If, if, if it was a 50-50 partnership and one person loved the idea of selling and the other person uh, didn't, you know, that would have been a potentially a happy moment that will become a sour moment because half half of the owners don't want to get out. So, right. All right, so I think we're close to the hour. And um, I don't know if you heard any of the background noise. I literally got children <laughs> screaming in the other room over it's here. It's a normal night. It's a normal night. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun, Mike. You want to say any last words? Yeah, like, no, likewise. No, no. It's just great to see you again. I miss you a ton, and I'm glad we could. Uh, and we'll be doing this just for the audience. We'll be doing this about um, every time we need that uh, Andrew and Brad need a night off. We'll be doing this for them. So I look forward in the future to seeing us back on the show um, every once in a while. And uh, thank you for watching. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.